Good morning. It's good to see everyone here. I'm thankful for the opportunity to be here this morning. For those of you I haven't had a chance to meet yet, um, which has been a lot of you since I've been up here trying to get this set up. Um, I'm Andy Soker. I'm from Bowling Green, Kentucky. I'm thankful to have the opportunity to be here this week to work with you and to present some lessons that hopefully all of us can learn some things from. Before we get into our class period this morning where we're going to be looking at a lesson on the parable of the sower, I want us to go ahead and go to God in prayer as we begin. Let's, let's bow together. Our Father in heaven, as we approach you now, we're thankful to you for this day that you've given us, for this Lord's Day where we can come together and assemble with brothers and sisters in Christ to worship you, to study from your word. We pray that you would be with us as we go through this assembly here this morning. We pray that everything that is done will be done in spirit and in truth. And we pray that as we study your word here during this during this period, that we will have an open mind and an honest heart as we seek to learn those things that your word instructs us to do, that we would be looking for ways where we can make application in our, in our lives, that we can serve you better and also be better equipped to teach others and help lead them to the truth. We pray for all those that are in need of prayers at this time, those of this number who may be sick or have various troubles of this life that they're dealing with. We pray that you be with them and others that each one of us knows about. We pray that you will forgive us for the sins that we have committed and help us always strive to be more like you and the example of your son. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to be looking at the parable of the sower. But as we do that, we're going to be tying it into some of the things we see in the book of Jeremiah. And I hope as we do that, that it makes sense why we're going to be doing that. The parable of the sower is one of the more well-known parables that Jesus gave. And it's a fairly simple parable. Its basic point can be explained relatively quickly. And But as we go through this, we're going to see that there are some important, le important lessons for us to draw out of this. So to begin with, I want to just read this parable. As I said, it's probably one of the more familiar ones to us. But I want to make sure that it's firmly in our minds as we begin this discussion. Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 3. He spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places, where they did not have much soil. Immediately they sprang up, because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among thorns. The thorns came and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. So you have Jesus giving this parable here. And as we read this parable, we see that there's a sower. He goes out and he scatters seed. But one of the interesting things that he does is that he doesn't try to determine what type of soil it is that he's sowing the seed on. He scatters the seed 
everywhere. And as he scatters the seed, without regard to what type of soil it's landing on, it is landing on different types of soil. You have the, the roadside, the wayside, you have the rocky soil, you have the thorny ground, and then you have the good soil. And because you have different soils, then you have different reactions, responses to the seed as it falls on those different soils. The results were, ex were affected by the soil that existed there. And as Jesus then explains this parable, he provides the parable and then explains it to his disciples there in verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom the seed was sown beside the road. The one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places. This is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. When affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word. And the worry of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke out the word and it becomes unfruitful. And the one on whom, the seed, on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who yields, who, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. So Jesus, many times when he gives a parable, he gives the parable and allows us to figure out what the, what the point is. Sometimes it's rather obvious what it is, but here he didn't leave anything to chance, whether we would understand it or not. Or his disciples there, as he was explaining it to them, he told them what the parable means. The seed that is sown, as Luke's account makes very clear to us, the seed is the word of God. So verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, that is like the roadside soil. They hear the gospel, but they do not understand it. And it says there that the evil one, the devil, comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart, and nothing ever comes of it. This is someone who hears the gospel, but they don't really pay attention to it. They're distracted, they're preoccupied, they're thinking about other things, they have other things that they're focused on, and so they might hear the gospel, and we might encounter people that we try to teach them, we try to talk to them about the Bible, and they just really don't seem to be that interested. They're thinking about other things, whether it's their jobs or their family or other interests. They're not interested, at least not right now. But that's the roadside. So the seed is sown, but then it doesn't do anything. It doesn't affect them because they're not allowing it to affect them. You have the rocky soil. These are ones who receive it, and they receive it with joy, that they're excited about it at first. But Jesus explained there they have no firm root there in verse 21. And so he says, this is only temporary. And so when difficult times come, when persecution comes, when they face hardships and afflictions, which is going to happen, everyone faces these. And especially as we want to follow Christ, we are going to face persecution. We're going to face affliction and hardship. That reception that they initially had where they received it with joy that fizzles out because Jesus says they have no firm root. So they're not really all that committed, 
even though initially it might seem encouraging, but they're not all that committed. They're short-sighted. And so they wither away. The third type of soil, the thorny ground, this is one that in our society, in our culture, a lot of times with the focus that people have on on the things of this life, this is what we run into a lot and sometimes what we need to guard ourselves against as well because they hear the word. And what's interesting as you look at the parable of the sower, we sometimes think of well the fact that, well, not many people are going to obey the gospel. Not many people we talk to are going to be interested, and which is oftentimes true. But in the parable, three out of the four soils actually received the word initially. The one, the roadside, they didn't. But the rocky soil, those are ones who initially, they did receive the word. They just didn't have firm root in themselves. The thorny ground, as we see here, they did receive the word. They accepted it. They recognized that it was true. The problem was they allowed the worries and the riches and the pleasures of this life to take over. And they focused on those things, and they did not focus on the, on the word that was spoken to them that they initially believed. They were worldly-minded. They had the wrong perspective about things. They had their priorities out of place. And so these things, as they build up and crowd out the word in their life, they bring no fruit to maturity. So they receive it, but they don't root out these thorns that choke out the word. And so eventually the word, just, just like the rocky soil, fizzles out in their heart and does not bring any fruit. The fourth soil, you have the good soil. These are the ones they hear, just like the rocky soil, the thorny ground where they heard. But rather than just hearing and just having an emotional reaction to it like the rocky soil, but wasn't rooted in anything real, or the ones who didn't clear out their heart out of the, of the worries and riches and pleasures of this life that would choke out the word, these ones, the good soil, they hear, they understand it. They're willing to clear out their heart and look to, and look to the word and allow that to take root and take firm root in them. And so they hear it. They understand it. They bear fruit. This is what the Lord desires. When we look at ourselves, one of the reasons why Jesus gave the parable of the sower is for us to look at ourselves to see, do I have the type of heart that the Lord wants me to have? Because any one of us, those of us who have become Christians, those of us who have obeyed the gospel, we're not the roadside soil, but if we're not careful, or if we're not doing the work to, to work at our heart, we could find ourselves being that rocky soil or the thorny ground where we fizzle out if we don't do the work of, of planting that word firmly in our hearts. We need to work on having the good soil. But oftentimes when we look at the parable of the sower, we think about this in terms of evangelism and in terms of reaching out to others because these are the types of hearts that we're going to find out in the world. And that's what we're focusing on here in this lesson is why I wanted to, to talk about this at the beginning of this week. Because 
when you have a gospel meeting, a congregation has a gospel meeting, a preacher like myself might come in and present some lessons and can help the, the congregation here and the members here, those who are present. But for a gospel meeting really to do well, it requires the members working to try to get people here, try to invite people, and you may have done that. And hopefully some of those ones that you invited will be here this week. Some of them may not. And if they don't show up, if they you invited them and maybe it seemed like they might come, but they don't come, this lesson is meant to encourage you not to get discouraged by that because you can still reach them. You can still affect them. Because what we're going to talk about as we look at the parable of the sower, we understand what the parable is about. There are a couple passage that is, passages that I want to look at the book of Jeremiah. Because I think as we tie these into the parable of the sower, we may be able to help us, especially when we think about not getting discouraged over efforts to reach others that don't seem to go anywhere, but also remind us that there is work that we can do to try to reach out to others that might help make them more receptive. Because what if instead of just sowing the seed, we could also be working the soil. We could also be trying to make hearts more receptive to the gospel, turn bad ground into good soil. Hearts that are unreceptive, at least right now, into ones that are receptive. Jeremiah, over in Jeremiah chapter 1, he had work to do before his work of of revealing God's message was really going to take hold, was really going to take root. He had work that he needed to do, which is the work that we need to be doing. In addition to sowing the seed, which is part of our responsibility, what else could we be doing? Well, look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. says, The Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth. The Lord said to me, Behold, I've put my words into your mouth. See, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up, to break down, to destroy, to overthrow, and then he says to build and to plant. Building and planting is what we think about when we think about trying to reach out, trying to share the gospel with others, teach others what the word of God says. We think about building and planting, but Jeremiah was told by God, there's work that needs to be done before you can build and plant. Just as when you have a new building or a new home that's being constructed, what do they have to do? They have to clear the ground. They have to clear it, whether there's trees or rocks or old buildings or whatever it is. They have to clear out that land so they can build that new building on there. When farmers or gardeners are going to plant, what do they have to do? They have to make sure the ground is cleared, that it's, that it's able to receive that those seeds, those plants, flowers, whatever it is being planted, it's able to receive those. So he says that you need to pluck up, break down, destroy, overthrow, and then it says build and plant. Over in chapter 4 of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, the men of Judah were told, what they need to do in response to God's message of judgment that was coming upon them. 
Jeremiah 4, 3 and 4, Thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and to Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground, and do not sow among thorns. Reminding us of the parable of the sower with the thorny ground. Do not sow among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and remove the foreskins of your heart, men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, or else my wrath will go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. Jeremiah was told, you need to break down, you need to destroy, you need to tear out and then build and plant. But they were told, the men of, of Judah and Jerusalem, they were told, you also need to be working on your heart as well, because if it's not clear, then this word that Jeremiah is preaching is not going to, or is prophesying, is not going to do them any good. Maybe if, as we think about trying to reach others with the gospel, instead of just sowing the seed, which we still need to do, but maybe instead of just doing that, we could also work to affect the hearts of those who are around us which could potentially make them more receptive to the gospel. Well, how do we do that? How do we cultivate the soil for sowing? Obviously, we cannot judge people's hearts. We cannot know as we come in contact with someone at the grocery store or sometimes people we know from work or neighbors, we don't know their hearts. This was Paul's point that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11, where he says, No one knows the thoughts of man except the spirit of the man which is in him. And his point was, in the same way we cannot know the thoughts of God except by the spirit of God who reveals them. We cannot know what is in the mind of God unless God tells us. In the same way, that the point that he was using to illustrate that was the fact that we don't know what other people's hearts are. We don't know what they are thinking. That's why the, in the parable of the sower, the sower went out and sowed the seed everywhere. Did not look and did not test the soil, soil. He sowed it everywhere. But as we learn more about people, as we get to know them, maybe that coworker that when they first start on the job, you don't really know them that well. But after you work with them for two years, five years, ten years, more, you get to know them better. Your neighbors, you don't know them well when you move in next door to them, but as you live there, you learn them better. Even people who are regular acquaintances, as we spend more time with them, we get to know them better. We know their hearts more. And we can't judge their hearts. We can't know everything they're thinking, but we do get to know them better. What can we do once we know people better, once we get to learn them how can we cultivate the soil? How can we cultivate their heart where they might be more receptive? For those that maybe you invited to the meeting this week who might not show up this week, hopefully they do. But what if they don't? What could you do between now and the next gospel meeting? Or the next time you have an opportunity to invite them? What maybe could be done to make them more receptive the next time? Those who are on the roadside, those are the ones who are uninterested, who are distracted, who are preoccupied, who have no interest in spiritual things right now, who are not interested in what the Bible teaches. What can we do? We can be persistent with them. It may be that they're not interested right now, but they may be interested later. And sometimes it takes 
sadly, some crisis that happens to them. Maybe they lose a loved one. Maybe they their spouse leaves them. Maybe something happens. Something happens to one of their children. They're, they lose their job. Some, something, some tragedy happens to them. Sometimes that's when they're more receptive to these things. And obviously we don't wish that upon anyone. But sometimes those are the opportunities that do present themselves. If we have been persistent with them, where we continually work to be a good example to them, we continually talk about spiritual things, not in a pushy way, but in a persistent way, where we, if it's someone that we work with, and they talk about on Monday, what did you do over the weekend? Well, we may do different things, and we can tell, like, well, we went to the lake on Saturday, or we went to do this, or we went to the ball game, or... And you could also say, well, and then Sunday we, we went to church services. We went to worship. And not say it in a pushy way, because if someone's not interested, that's not going to do any good at that point. But if they know that you are regularly, consistently focused on something greater than the things of this life, and you're showing an example that you are, you are consistent in the way that you live, they know that you're one that they can turn to when maybe that tragedy happens or something happens in their life that makes them think I need to focus more on these things I haven't been paying attention to, on what the Bible says, on God and those types of things. Be persistent. Again, it doesn't have to be in a pushy way, but be persistent with them. The rocky soil, those who are short-sighted, those who are not really fully committed, be open with them. Be honest with them about... You know, if they don't really understand the hardships that come with being a Christian, well, be honest about that, that there are difficulties, there are hardships, but also be frank about the fact that sin also has its own hardships. Sin also brings its own trouble. Why is it that we don't go drinking at the bar with everyone else at work when they go on Friday nights? Well, we could say, well, the Bible condemns that sort of thing, and that might be true. But we could also point out the fact that, you know, there are all sorts of troubles that come by doing that. You're wasting your hard-earned paycheck. You have health problems that happen with that, relationship problems that happen with that. You can, you can mention those types of things. Show that there, there is, there are things that are negatives that come with sin. Sin is not all good. It is not what the devil wants to make it out to be or you only focus on the pleasure of sin. The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews 11 that there are pleasures of sin, but they are passing pleasures of sin. Show them also as you face difficulties and you face hardships, which all of us will. Show them an example of one who patiently endures those things, who does not lose their faith. Your faith does not waver. That when things are difficult, you're still worshiping with the saints when the church assembles just as you did before. You're still looking forward to that home in heaven just as you were before, that you don't lose sight of that. Make it clear that no matter what happens, that is what is valuable. That is what to be, is to be focused on. Those who have the thorny hearts who are worldly-minded, who have their priorities out of order, they're focused on the worries and the riches and the pleasures of this life, show them an example of contentment. 
that you're not rushing after and worrying about all of these things that the world is. You may work hard at work, which we all ought to do, but your motivation for doing that, to do the best that you can because that's what the Lord expects of you, to earn a living so that you can provide for yourself and your family, to help others, to give to the church, those are all worthy motivations and why we should be doing those things. Some people, though, are just... They're just out to get whatever they can gain in this life. They want the boat that they can take out to the lake. They want a vacation home. They want a newer car. They want all of these things. Show an example of contentment. Show an example of one who is not focused on all all of these things and is not worried about all of these things that the world is worried about. Show them one who puts spiritual things first. That you have hope no matter what happens here. You have hope of eternity. You have hope of the resurrection. And there are other possibilities besides just the ones that Jesus mentioned in this parable. There may be people who are not interested because they see hypocrisy among religious people. And that's a common charge. The reason why people aren't interested in in the church, whether it's specifically about a certain congregation or just in general, a lot of times it is just general, but why people aren't interested, well, there are too many hypocrites in churches. And there may be hypocrites in churches. Hypocrites need to be in churches. That doesn't mean they should just go on in their hypocrisy, but they need to be reforming themselves, reforming their lives. They need to be in the churches just as much as the alcoholic and the and those who have other types of sins that they are dealing with as a way for them to overcome those sins. If there's a hypocrite, they may be in the church, hopefully they're reforming and they're getting the help they need to overcome that sin. But what if there is, what if there are hypocrites in the church and in churches in general and people see hypocrisy in those who claim to be Christians? Well, there may be that. We can't deny that that might exist. But you, Each of us individually show an example of one who is genuinely serving the Lord, who is sincere in their faith. Maybe they've had another uh, or a negative experience in the past with some church or some Christian or some preacher. Maybe it's a church of Christ. Maybe it's some other congregation or another denomination, whatever it is. They may have had that in the past. They may have that negative experience. Be an example of faithfulness. Show them that not every Christian is like that. And if we are able to get them interested to the point where they are able to come and assemble with the church or come to a Bible study where they could see then that not every church is like that, hopefully they would see that this church, this congregation is not like that and give them the opportunity, but that begins with each one of us individually showing them that example of one who is faithful, one who is not going to be like those ones who hurt them and who had who caused that negative experience for them. And there could be other things that we add to that list, but what I want each one of us to do, again, you may have invited people to, to this week, and hopefully we see them at some point through this week. But if we get to the end of this week and those ones you invited do not come, 
If they did not come and maybe don't come the next Sunday and the next Sunday or Wednesday evening Bible study or things like that, if they're not coming right away, don't be discouraged by that. Don't think that, well, you know, I tried inviting them to the gospel meeting. They didn't come. And so that's, you know, just throw up your hands and and that's the end of it. Work on their heart. Cultivate the soil. Maybe it's not receptive right now. Maybe they're not ready to focus on spiritual things right now. And we as Christians understand that there is an urgency to this, that the Lord is returning and we do not know when that day is. There's an urgency to this, so we don't want to just completely, you know, set this aside and think that it's, well, we don't need to do anything. But we also can't push people into being a Christian. They need to make the decision for themselves. And so let's sow the seed, plant the seed wherever we have the opportunity to do that. But as we learn people, especially those that we come in contact with regularly, Let's also, as we get to know them, work on their hearts, where if they're not receptive right now, they might be more receptive later. Thank you.